Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is November 1st. I'm Lorraine Castres. These are today's headlines. The House passed a resolution formalizing procedures on the ongoing impeachment inquiry into President Trump, moving the inquiry to public hearings for the American people to see. Hundreds of firefighters battle a new fire in Southern California, Ventura County authorities ordering mandatory evacuations for almost 7,000 people. And border agents in Arizona sounding the alarms as they've seen an increase in migrants locked inside trailers or trunks of cars trying to sneak into the country. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin with the presidency in peril. A vote on Thursday formalized the guidelines of how Democrats will carry out the remainder of the impeachment inquiry process. But Republicans are not backing down, defending the president while he stands defiant, refusing to cooperate with the process. Here's the very latest. The impeachment has officially moved into a new phase, with only two Democrats voting against the resolution that sets forth the guidelines for the next steps in the process, and with Republicans standing strong over their defense for the president. Will you all go on the record and say that the president did nothing inappropriate? Very clear, yes. The president defiant, telling the Washington Examiner he will not cooperate with the Democratic Party's impeachment proceedings and wants to read the Ukraine call transcript out loud to the American people. When you know the line is crowded with people listening, uh, intelligence agencies, military people, they're all listening. Would I say something inappropriate? I'm supposed to be a, they even say a very smart person, right? I don't think I'd be... Uh, I don't think I'd be doing that. Democrats expressing concerns as they move forward. We take no joy in having to move down this road and proceed with the impeachment inquiry. But neither do we shrink from it. He's not worth impeaching because it's even going to divide the f country further than he has already divided it. But this was something that you could not ignore. As the vote on the impeachment resolution was happening, three House committees were interviewing Tim Morrison, Trump's former top Russia advisor, who listened in on the July 25th call, telling lawmakers he was told Trump wanted top Ukrainian officials to publicly announce investigations that would stand to benefit the president politically before he unfroze nearly $400 million in military aid. But he did say, quote, I want to be clear, I was not concerned that anything illegal was discussed, a statement the White House claims as a victory for the president. Mr. Morrison's t testimony is very damaging to the Democrat narrative. Tim Morrison absolutely did not say that there was quid pro quo. But House Democrats perceiving Morrison's deposition very differently. It's hard to see how they interpret it that way. Uh, he really confirmed the facts of what has been testified to by people uh, like Ambassador Taylor. Only two out of the 234 Democrats voted against the resolution. Congressman Jeff Bandrew of New Jersey and Colin Peterson of Minnesota. And staying on the impeachment inquiry, let's go to Chris Liu. He was a senior White House aide to President Obama and is now a senior fellow at the University of Virginia's Miller Center. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Thank you. 
Chris, let's start with what happens next in this impeachment process. Is the public going to hear from all the witnesses that have testified so far behind closed doors? And what is it going to be the format? What's going to be the format to say in the hearings that are going to be carried out? Yeah, well, there's still a couple more steps in this process. The House Intelligence Committee has additional depositions. They've got a full slate for next week. Uh, there are several important people that are um, potentially could testify, but um, it, it will be dependent on court action. One of the more significant is probably the former National Security Advisor, John Bolton, uh, who may or may not testify and is a critical person in this. So I would suspect that we probably have still a couple more weeks of depositions. Uh, and then I think this House Intelligence Committee will put out the transcripts of the depositions and then we'll start to hold some hearings uh, with a couple of the key witnesses. You'll probably see not only Tim Morrison, who you just spoke about, uh, Fiona Hill, um, Bill Taylor, a couple of the other folks. And then I think the body of um, all that evidence will then be presented to the House Judiciary Committee, along with other evidence that's been gathered by other committees. So I still think you're probably, you know, uh, easily several weeks, if not uh, at least a month, month and a half away from, you know, any kind of more formal vote on impeachment. And Chris, former Deputy National Security Advisor Charles Kupperman sued, asking a judge to determine which branch of government he should obey. Basically, Congress asking him to testify, the White House telling him not to, and that judge now saying that he's going to consider the case in December. You touched a little bit about this, but how does this affect the Democrats' timeline? Well, look, I think we already know what the outlines of this picture are, and, and those outlines really were confirmed uh, by the initial transcript of the, the phone call of the July 25th conversation between uh, the two leaders. Uh, what we're now trying to do is fill in some of those details. I still think uh, Mr. Kupperman's testimony would be useful, but I don't think it's necessary. Uh, I think the other witnesses along the way have essentially confirmed what we know to be the case, which is um, the, the Trump administration uh, withheld aid to Ukraine uh, it, um, as a condition for um, uh, an investigation of uh, Vice President Biden. So I think these other witnesses help, but I think uh, there are there are certainly enough confirmation at this point. That's an interesting point. Let me ask you this. The way things are going, Republicans are, of course, expected to kill this impeachment process when it reaches the Senate. Are Democrats wasting their time? Well, I don't want to prejudge what the Senate's going to do. And I think it's important to understand that there's a lot of what we've heard from these depositions is just some of the opening statements and some of the leaks that come out of them. I think it'll be important to see what the full transcripts look like, uh, what the witness testimony is when these people uh, testify before open session. But you've already started to see a lot of Republican senators start to hedge a little bit and say, look, we're not going to prejudge this the way that House Republicans are. Uh, we're jurors in a case and we want to hear all the evidence. And so, yeah, I think it's unlikely that you will get enough votes to remove the president from office. Uh, but obviously a lot hopefully will be dependent on what the facts show. And just quickly to touch back on Bolton that you mentioned earlier, do you expect him to show up? And if he does, what can he possibly say that is, you know, the big smoking gun in this case? Because he's been mentioned in a lot of the testimony quickly because we have a few seconds left. No, he sure has. I mean, he's the one who could ultimately, uh, the most senior official could, could confirm uh, concerns about a quid pro quo here. I don't know if he will testify. He seems to want to wait to see what a, a federal court decides about that. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for your time to helping us digest all this information. Senior fellow at the University of Virginia's Miller Center.
And now more Americans approve of the impeachment investigation into President Donald Trump than disapprove of it, though only about a third say the inquiry should be a top priority for Congress. According to a new poll from the Associated Press, Nork Center for Public Affairs Research, the poll results uh, serve as a warning sign for President Trump's White House as his re-election campaign, but also present some red flags for Democrats. Two, more people say House members are motivated mainly by politics rather than by duty as they investigate the Republican president's dealings with Ukraine. And many were surprised this morning to see that President Trump, a lifelong New Yorker, changed his permanent residence from New York to Palm Beach, Florida, reportedly, at least in part, to take advantage of the Sunshine State's low taxes. Claudia Uceda has the details. President Donald Trump declares himself a resident of Florida. He's no longer a New Yorker after filing paperwork to move his permanent residency to Florida last month. Trump tweeted, The White House is the place I have come to love and will stay for, hopefully. But my family and I will be making Palm Beach, Florida, our permanent residence. I share is New York and the people of New York, and I always will. But unfortunately, despite the fact that I pay millions of dollars in city, state and local taxes each year, I've been treated very badly by the political leaders of both the city and the state. According to court documents filed with the Palm Beach County Circuit Court, Trump, a native New Yorker, changed his permanent residence to his Mart Alago Club in Palm Beach. The documents assert that the Florida resort is now Trump's predominant and principal home. The New York Times report the change was primarily for tax purposes, a person close to the president told the Times. Florida does not collect income tax. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo responded saying, good riddance, it's not like Trump paid taxes here anyway. He's all yours, Florida. And First Lady Melania Trump also changed her residency to Palm Beach in an identical court document. I am Claudia Uceda in Washington. Now, back to you. Thank you, Claudia. And President Trump is traveling to Mississippi today to try to shore up Republican support ahead of the state's toughest governor's race in nearly a generation. Trump will hold a rally in the northern Mississippi city of Tupelo tonight to support Republican Tate Reeves, who is finishing his second term as lieutenant governor. Reeves' Democratic opponent, Jim Hood, is serving his fourth term as attorney general and has been elected by wide margins in his previous races. He's currently the only Democrat to hold statewide office. And now to Southern California, where there is a new wildfire threat. The Maria fire exploding in size overnight, scorching 5,000 acres and forcing thousands of families to evacuate. My Tinteriano has the latest. This brush fire in Ventura County exploding overnight, going from sparks to over 8,000 acres in about six hours. The so-called Maria fire threatening nearly 2,000 structures as it races up these hills. Its speeds prompting officials to call for the mandatory evacuation of over 7,500 people in the middle of the night. 
we're gonna stay here as long as we can. As soon as we see flames, I have the car ready to go. Tell me, get it going. First responders and homeowners taking to the rooftops to fight the fire, trying to beat back those walls of flame. The fire already destroying at least two homes. This one engulfed in minutes. The last gasps of that extreme Santa Ana wind event this week. Again, fanning these flames. There have been more than 10 fires in Southern California just this week. An ABC News crew witnessed firsthand how quickly fires like these can gain ground. It's come down this hill in just a matter of seconds. Watching as Inferno galloped into this highway planes dropping fire retardant to try to stop the progress. Winds seen overnight supercharging fires, sending them racing right past firefighters. The Maria fire is just one of 14 active blazes that emergency crews are uh, around the state are battling red flag warnings remain in effect for parts of Southern California, but weather conditions are starting to improve in other parts of the state. Wind should be slower today, about 35 miles an hour instead of 70 miles per hour gust from earlier in the week. Lorraine, back to you. Thank you, Mighty. And staying on the fire, some areas of California residents who had evacuated are finally returning home. And as Juan Carlos Gonzalez explains, although many of those families are relieved, going back to normal is still going to take a lot of time. After more than a week, the good news arrived for thousands of Northern California residents. Initially, we had 186,000 people that were evacuated. About 180,000 of those have been allowed to return to their homes. We only have about just over 5,000 people, almost 6,000 that, that are still evacuated. The action was taken after more than 60% of the Kincaid fire was contained. Alicia and Jorge had to stay at her sister's home, and despite being warmly welcomed, they felt kind of guilty. We knew we were invading their space. We knew they were giving up, um, you know, one of their beds, one of their rooms for us. When you leave everything, you forget about your house. So what you really want is to save your house, says Jorge. After almost four days, they were able to return home. It was a very special moment, she says. It's like getting all your life back. You know, it's like when, very similar to when somebody says, I'm gonna take something from you, and you don't know if they are serious or not, and then all of a sudden you get it back and you're like, it's, it's real, I'm back home. Nothing happened to their house. It is in perfect condition. In the meantime, a Mexican family got together and cooked almost 1,500 tamales to say thanks to the firefighters who worked hard to contain this fire. We wanted to say thanks to them bringing this breakfast with tamales because we know they put their lives at risk to save ours and our homes, said Sonia, who also was evacuated but was able to return to her house. Even though some families lost their homes, thousands are safe and sound and trying to return to their daily routine. But probably they appreciate everything they have. A little bit more now. Now that I have everything back, I can't even describe it. The majority of the firefighters are already going home, but others have to stay just to make sure that everything is under control.
in Santa Rosa, California, Juan Carlos González Unions. It's that time of year when the clocks change and you get that extra hour of sleep. Daylight saving time ends at 2 a.m. this Sunday, November 3rd, so it's time to fall back to standard time. There are a few places where people don't have to do anything because they never went on daylight saving time, like Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, or uh, the state of Hawaii and Arizona. And U.S. employers added a solid 128,000 jobs in October, a figure that was held down by a now-settled strike against General Motors that caused tens of thousands of workers to be temporarily counted as unemployed. Meanwhile, the unemployment rate ticked up from 3.5 to 3.6 percent, still near a five-decade low. Let's go now to Arizona, where border agents are routinely finding migrants hidden in vehicles trying to sneak into the country. The conditions that could be and often are fatal. Nidia Cavazos has more. Every vehicle that crosses this border checkpoint in southern Arizona is thoroughly inspected. And recently, they found several groups of migrants locked inside trailers. The most recent incident happened last Saturday. It was a semi-trailer that carried 30 people inside. Two weeks ago, at this same checkpoint, they also rescued 32 other people. These photographs show how they were piled up and risking their lives, says the Border Patrol spokesman in Tucson. They came mixed into a load of watermelons with tons of produce. Last few months, there have been several cases in this same place, which is worrying, according to immigration authorities, who often hold drills to show the dangers of crossing the border, locked in trunks of cars or in semi-trailers. For example, a person inside the trunk of a vehicle, at this moment, the temperature in the air is about 90 degrees. But inside a trunk, the temperature can go up to 120 degrees. According to Border Patrol statistics, in fiscal year 2019, 3,300 migrants were rescued from semi-trailers along the U.S.-Mexico border. Some were traveling in dangerously high temperatures. According to this officer, the coyotes force them to travel in these conditions. They really don't have a choice. Organized crime dictates when and where they cross, and their lives are in the hands of organized crime. The last two cases reported at this immigration checkpoint, 59 of the migrants were Mexican and three were Ecuadorian, including a child. All were placed in deportation proceedings. In southern Arizona, reported for UNIS, Pedro Ultreras, Nide Cavazos. And the homelessness crisis in multiple U.S. cities doesn't discriminate. According to figures from the state of New York, over 100,000 students in the Big Apple alone are being affected by this phenomenon. Peggy Carranza has more from New York City. At first glance, Valerie looks like any 10th grade student, but she likely carries a heavier burden. She lives in a shelter and is one of the more than 114,000 homeless students in New York City. That's according to data from the New York State Education Department, revealed by the organization Advocates for Children of New York. Valerie says her biggest challenge is doing homework in an overcrowded space. You're in the kitchen, you have your own chair and everything, and when you sit down, like you listen like different discussion, arguments, and then you doesn't have privacy 
all this time you listen to different sounds. And of the homeless students in New York City, 85% are black or Hispanic, and only 57% of the homeless students in the city graduate from high school. Because these students don't have stability in their housing, they are much less likely to attend school because it is harder to travel. They are also much less likely to be able to read at a proficient level and to graduate from, from high school. Valerie takes the subway to her school, which for her is not a problem. What affects her performance is the lack of internet access and not being able to receive visits at the shelter. Don't have like internet, is very a problem because you know some you know we have the phones and everything but it's not like the same like when you're using a computer when we do work on in group like it's not so easy a spokeswoman for the nyc department of education said we're hiring social workers providing busing and placing staff in schools focus on connecting families to community services most of the families end up in shelters after domestic violence incidents, but in Valerie's case, it was because of Hurricane Maria two years ago. Shelters are at capacity because access to housing is very difficult, said her mom. Even though shelters are considered temporary housing, the average length of stay for families is more than 400 days, according to the Department of Homeless Services. In New York City, Peggy Carranza, U News. In Bolivia, protesters gathered in La Paz on Thursday as the nation was set to start a politically charged review of its recent presidential election. The country has had protests and street clashes that left at least two dead and others injured. The Organization of American States was expected to conduct the audit of fiercely contested October 20 votes, which handed President Evo Morales a first round win. In Chile, protests continued in the capital Thursday as the country nears two consecutive weeks of civil unrest. Santiago has been paralyzed by protests, leaving at least 20 people dead and leading to the resignation of eight key ministers from President Sebastián Piñera's cabinet earlier this week. The protests initially began over a now-suspended price hike for subway tickets, but have expanded revealing anger among many Chileans who feel they've been excluded from the nation's economic crisis. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Apple rolls out its long-awaited streaming service and new technology is helping battle the wildfires in California. Annabelle Sedano has the very latest on this tech report. Hi there, that's right, and we begin with this. As you know, every year California is heavily affected by wildfires, which is why a mobile app could be beneficial to residents. CalFire is an app that sends 
fire alerts, gives users information and a map of the affected areas. It also includes videos of active fires. Good one to have. And too much YouTube? Apparently so. According to stats gathered by Common Sense Media, online video usage is going through the roof and has more than doubled in the last four years. The percentage of young people who say they watch online videos every day has gone from 24% to 56% among 8 to 12-year-olds and from 34% to 69% among 13 to 18-year-olds. And finally, it's here, just like Apple had promised it would be. And that, of course, would be Apple TV+. Plus. It's now available worldwide. The service opened up with various series and original content that has been produced or acquired by the brand. That said, it's a much smaller content compared to other streaming services. In fact, as of now, it currently houses a total of eight series. However, they have said that more is on the way. So stay tuned for that. I'm Annabelle Sedano, and that was your Daily Dose of Tech News. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.